Is it my turn, Steve? All right. All right. Usually I convince Steve to introduce me just to make him uncomfortable. All right. If you'll join me in uh, prayer to start off with. Dear Gracious and Holy Father, I thank you for today, Father. I thank you for the church that you've gathered here, Father. And uh, I thank you for the church that you've gathered around the world, Father. That, that there are many on bended knee this morning worshiping and praising your name and lifting your glory up, Father. And Lord, we our hearts go out to those that are in some of these countries, Father, because they choose to follow you or are under persecution that we can't even begin to imagine, Father. Um, that are being locked up and, and family members are being killed and things that are being done, Father. But Lord, we know and we praise your name that because of those things, your Spirit's working on those around us that need to know a saving knowledge of your Son. Lord, I thank you so much again for for this church and for Pastor Tony, Father, and for the opportunity you've given me today to, to speak your word. And Lord, I pray you just put that heads of protection around us and our hearts and our minds this morning, Father, as we focus on the message that you have for each and every one of us today, Father. And Lord, I pray most of all that nothing comes from me that's not from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That thing's going to work. might jump off my hip here in a minute. All right. Man, I'm glad to, to be back. It, it seems like it was a little while ago, so uh, maybe Tony thought I needed a little break, or maybe y'all needed a break. I don't know. And I'm glad that he doesn't warn y'all, right, because now y'all stuck to listen to me this morning because it's a southern thing. I know none of you going to jump up and run out to church, right? But I do want you to, to pay attention today because I want you to go back to Pastor Tony and say, that man was crazy and I got some questions. Because I'm going to touch on some things today that I don't have enough time to explain all of it. So I'm going to leave some things open for you to go back to Pastor Tony and say, you know, I want to get involved in X. What the heck is X? Right? Because, you know, sometimes he's searching for stuff to preach, right? So we'll give him something from you guys. But the main question that I, I'm going to ask for you today to ponder, don't, don't shout out or what have you, but I want you to think through as we go through the message today. I'm going to be preaching out of 2 Corinthians, um, looking at Paul. But the main question I want you to, to think about and contemplate, and maybe you have before, but how do we know who we should follow? How do we know that Pastor Tony's got it together, that he's supposed to be the pastor here? Like, oh man, you come in and you say that? That's weird. No, just hang in there with me, right? Ask my church the same thing. So how do you know I'm supposed to be, fo- you're supposed to be following me in the church that I lead? You know, I, some of us will look at outside of our local and we'll say, you know, I, I listen to, to Billy Graham. How, how do I know I'm supposed to follow Billy Graham? How do we choose that we're supposed to be in the church that we're in? What is success? And Pastor Tony and I have this conversation a lot. What is define success of a church? And so we're going we're gonna to open up Paul's letter, the church in Corinth today, because he's having the same kind of struggle. He's being challenged on whether he should be the apostle to that church. They got people speaking out against him, saying that, hey, Paul's not your guy, and you need to throw him to the side. So he's defending himself. And so if we look at how Paul defends himself, I mean, I mean, we can argue if you want about 
him being an apostle, but that would be a really long conversation too that you won't win. But we know he's an apostle. We know he was given by God to do that. And so how does he defend himself so that we can look at, say, his defense is the things that we should be looking at to know if we're in the right spot, if we're following the right people, if we're listening to the right voices. Because I can tell you, in the last few years, we've seen some high-profile Christian, quotation marks, men that turned out not to be so Christian. Huh? But they had large followings. Good question, right? All right, so I'm going to read all the way through. We're going to go through chapter 10. I'm going to read all the way through it once, and then we'll come back and kind of break it apart and, and have some fun. So 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I am, may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. If you think that sounds angry, yeah, he's a little mad. It's meant to be. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building up, for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are witty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. All right. One of my other fun things I like to do is pastors have pet peeves. When people have this wonderful idea and then they use this scripture to back up the wonderful idea, except the scripture doesn't back up the wonderful idea that they had. So that that scripture that they used doesn't really mean what they said. Happens quite frequently, and I have a good time with it. Doesn't always mean that their idea is bad, it just means they use the wrong scripture to back it up. So sometimes they need help. There is one of those 
gems hidden in this scripture we've gone to today. And so I'm going to point it out to you. It's a big one that people use a lot. This scripture to go after one of these areas in, in life that that scripture is not saying to go after that area of life. It has nothing to do with it. So if that doesn't get you excited about studying scripture more, I don't know what does. All right. So I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So he says, I'm going to be quiet, nice guy, right? I'm going to be like Christ. I Remember, he's talking out against people who are saying you shouldn't be leading the church. And that's where he's at in the letter. So just before this, he talked about church discipline, and he's called people back to repentance. And, and the chapter just before this, he was all excited about how the church is coming back, and people are repenting, and they are doing the church discipline. And so as he's got the majority, now he's turning his head back to the minority of the church that's there. Okay? And, and the people that are still kind of running their mouth against him. So, unlike me, he's doing good with being meek and gentle like Christ and dealing with it. So, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show the boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against you some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, look, what's happening is is there's a couple of charges. This is the second time he's defended himself. Paul, when he writes, he'll do like these ABA formats. So he'll talk about A, move to B, and go back to A again. And he'll give examples. And so same thing as he builds his entire letter out. Beginning for a few chapters is A, middle section, then we come back and he's swinging back around to defending himself again a little bit here. So some of the charges that not all in this section, but throughout Corinthians, some of the charges that are being made from him, um, one is, well, you're not collecting money when you preach. Because what was common at that time is people traveled around to give messages, they would ask for support. That's how they made a living. They would be basically street pastors. And they would pastor and say, all right, give me some money. And so a sign of how well you're doing is the money you're taking in. So how he shows up. Does that sound familiar sometimes? How people are judged these days on how well their ministry is going? How many people are showing up? What car they drive? How many pastors they got underneath them? Right? And so people are people. It's one thing when you study scripture, it hasn't changed Culturally, some things change a little bit, but the root of it is still there. And so, hey, Paul, you're not doing so well because you don't ask for money. And so Paul says early on, I don't ask for money because I don't want to get anything between the message that I'm giving you. I don't want you to think we have that problem. Now, later, after he established the churches, he does come back to churches and ask for support. And, and here specifically, asks for support of the church in um, Jerusalem that was really struggling. But he also asked for support for his missionary journey. So it's common for him to say, support me to go tell the word here because I'm not going to charge them to tell them the word. Okay? So that's one of the charges. One of the other charges is, you know, he doesn't speak well. And he, he doesn't do that well. And, and, and he's also scared because when he's in front of you, he'll preach certain things. But now he's writing these letters and he's all of a sudden he's all bold in these letters because I mean, he calls them out. And, and, and the church discipline and things that are going on, they say, well, he doesn't, he doesn't even have the strength to do that in front of us. And he was supposed to come visit them a third time and he delayed coming. And so, look, he doesn't even do what he says he's going to do. I mean, you could just kind of hear the charges coming out against why this guy should not be your leader. 
And so what he's saying is, he says, uh, you know, yeah, I am bold in my writing. I beg you that when I present, I might not have to show the boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect of us of walking according to the flesh. He says, I'm being like Christ. What did Christ do? When Christ came, did he lay the hammer down on everybody? No, he sacrificed himself. And so we're in this time of forbearance where Christ is kind of turning the other cheek and giving everybody time to repent. And so what's Paul doing? The first time he's challenged, did he lay the hammer on him? No. He's forbearance. He walked away, calmed down, took a breath, counted to ten. Because I'm going to be like Christ. And so I'm writing you this stuff because I'm giving you a chance to repent. Because when I come, that's the day. I'm going to call you out, those that are still counting against me. And why is it so important for Paul? We'll get into that in a minute. Because this is it's not so much Paul defending himself as we're about to find out. So a counter showing against some who suspect of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. I'm not going to argue you with the points that you're arguing. You're arguing from the flesh. The points that you're making are all in the flesh. Right? For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So why don't I argue from flesh? Because I'm not here to reason you into God. I'm not here to, to be crafty or witty. I don't perform miracles. Because you've got to remember, these other people that came would perform miracles too. So it's common to use miracles. It's common to use you know, stoicism and, and um, just wits, if you will. Debate. Paul's like, I'm not doing any of that stuff. Because I'm not... I'm not doing it in the flesh, right? Um, Weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In other words, it's not how I speak. It's what I speak. You know, I I, uh, had the privilege of going to see Billy Graham one time, and his, I was a teenager, but he was as much older age and kind of probably toward his thing. He showed up at Tampa Stadium and I went and had all this expectation because at that time you've heard all this stuff about Billy Graham and he gets up and speaks and I don't know if it's because of the end of his life or what. I haven't really paid much attention to him, but it was really unexciting. I thought, this is weird. Like everybody here, the mass of people there and, and all the people that went forward, I'm like, he didn't say anything exciting. That's, I mean, he could have just read basically the scripture to you and sat down but he gave the gospel message. Why? Because it's not important on how he says or how he delivers it. What's important is in the power of what is delivered in the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Paul's saying is, I'm not going to do all this stuff in the flesh. I come in the Holy Spirit who's going to knock down strongholds. What are the strongholds? That's us going, I don't want God. That's us saying, I don't need God. That's us saying, I've got it all figured out. And so what knocks them down those strongholds? The Holy Spirit calling you to it. Not because I'm witty, because if I wit you into it, guess what? There's other somebody who can wit you out of God's existence as well. And it's scary how much that happens. I've got somebody that I went to church with for a long time who now has become this great motivational speaker, or is trying to be, at least on social media. But he's speaking to a certain church group. And I'm like, well, this is interesting because I'm not really sure I'm aligned completely with the stuff that he's talking about. Then I look up the doctrine of the churches that he's speaking out in the area. 
I'm like, I went to church with this man, sat in the pew next to him, we went into the same teaching, and now he's with a group of churches that believes Jesus was a good prophet and all that stuff, but you can be like him if you just think your way there. In the world. So, there, I mean, there's this idea out there, not just within that church, but that we all are uh, gods and we just got to realize that at some point. But that's somebody who sat next to me, who went down that path. Right? It's a little scary. It's because it's not the craftiness of what we speak. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us that breaks down those strongholds. So Paul says, look, I didn't come with craft and all this stuff. I came with divine power from God. That's the weapons that I'm using. So we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the verse that people misuse all the time. Take every thought captive. Right? Take every thought captive. Especially in the men's stuff. Man, we get into this, oh, you got to defend, you know, we have problems with pornography, problems with this stuff, and, you know, you got to take every thought captive. you got to put it up to Christ, put it up to Christ, put it up to Christ. This is not a verse about how you cannot sin better. Okay? This is not a verse about how to, how to better your thing. What he's saying here is, is, I take every thought, I take everything that they say, and I compare it to Christ. So, eventually, as we go through here, you're going to see is, Paul's not defending himself, he's defending the gospel. Because if you don't believe me, I am the gospel and I am the truth, is what I'm telling you. And if you go with X over here, you're no longer in the truth. And you're going to be lost. So he's passionate about what he's saying because he's defending the gospel, not himself. Okay? So that's what he's excited about. So when he says, I take every thought captive, I'm listening to what they say, and I take the message that they're given and I hold it up to Christ. So when you say, well, he speaks a certain way. Did Christ ever say, does it matter how a, per- how a person speaks or delivers a message? How educated he is? Does he have to have a certain amount of letters behind his name? No. When we look at his disciples, they came from all walks of life. We came from people who are growing up in the church and really well educated. They came from fishermen. They came from... I didn't realize this until later in life, but there was one that was like anti-government leading the riots. Was one of his disciples. So they came from all walks of life. <clears throat> so what the challenge is, is that you hold everything that you're being told to Christ. And so if we're going to mimic Paul, everything that you're taught, it's your responsibility to put it toward Christ. And you evaluate what they're saying to that. All right. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What do you mean? What he's saying is I'm given time for forbearance. I'm given time for you to repent. And at some point, it's going to be time to lay down the law. And for those that haven't repented, it's going to be time to lay down the law. I'm being like Christ. At some point, Christ is going to come back and it's judgment day. There's no chance after that. There's no chance after that. I come meekness and humble and I died for you and I love you and I want you to repent and I want you to repent and I want you to repent and I'm giving you an opportunity, but there is a day of reckoning. And so Paul saying the same thing. Look, I've backed off. I've sent you letters. I'm, I'm imploring you to repent. I'm imploring you to hear the gospel. I'm imploring you to listen to me. And some of you are going to turn, but he also recognize some of them aren't. 
And so guess what? That day of boldness that you read in my letters is going to come face to face with you. So being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So however many that that I can get, I can get. And when one day I'm I'm going to lay it down. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want you to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are witty and strong, in quotation marks. His letters are witty and strong. This is what they're saying about him. But his bodily presence is weak. He's not a good speaker. His speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. Don't think I'm not going to come back and be just as forceful when it's time. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So he's looking at their argument and saying, look how good we are because the amount of money I've taken, look how well I speak, look at the letters behind my name, look how many people have followed me, because that's another common thing they would do. Write me a letter so that I can take it over to this church and say, look, this church believes in me, here's my letter, so now you've got to listen. And they said, well, at one point, they said, Paul, don't have that. Paul's like, I don't need that. Okay? And so, he's not going to argue with them on that. He doesn't need that stuff. Why? Because they're doing it without understanding. But we will not boast, verse 13, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. How do you know, right? I'm not going to argue with how I talk. I'm not going to argue with my letters behind my names. I'm not going to argue with the amount of money I take. How do you know? Because if you're a Christian... You know that the only reason you're a Christian, you know the only reason the Holy Spirit's working within you because I come and told you. And because I did tell you and because you're seeing the Holy Spirit work out in your life, then you know that God commanded me to come tell you. So what's Paul says? God told me to come. How does Paul know? And when we look through, uh, if you look back through chapters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, earlier chapters, the reason Paul knows and the reason he's encouraged, I mean, at one point he's in prison and he's ready, he's happy, he's, dude, just kill me, I've had enough. What encourages Paul at that moment? The fact that the Corinth church, and he could see the Holy Spirit still working in them. He can still people coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. He can see still them working. So what happens is it builds his faith because God's fulfilling his promise with the Holy Spirit. He's not excited about how many are getting converted. He's getting excited about because he sees the Holy Spirit working, which is what God promised. So if God promised the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's working, he also promised that when I die, he's going to be standing there with me and Jesus is going to say, I got you. So Paul gets excited. Not about how many convert. He gets excited about the promises of God being fulfilled. So just as you, if you're a Christian, if you're in the church and you are a Christian, Look with your own eyes. The fact that I'm a Christian, the fact that the Holy Spirit's working with me, who did that? Paul or Joe Smo over here? 
Well, Paul did. So should I really be listening to these guys because they have all these wonderful tales? No, the only thing that I need is God commanded me to come and I came and that's what's happened. God's working through my ministry. God's working through my ministry. That's why you listen to me. And I'm not going to boast on my abilities. Paul doesn't boast about how well he speaks, how much knowledge he has. He boasts on the things that God's doing. He didn't say, come listen to me, because he said, come listen to me, because watch what the Holy Spirit's doing, and you know that in your heart. See see how his argument just destroys everything else that they say? Because I'm not going to be on your same wavelength. I'm not going to get in the battle of wits with you, because that doesn't matter. What matters is, is God sent me, and has given me that authority. Right? We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So as your faith increases, what? You're going to influence more. You're going to influence more. Is it just Paul speaking? No. So Steve learns and and lives it out, and people see Steve, and Steve's going to talk, and he's going to tell about things that God's doing in his life. He's going to be boasting about the Holy Spirit. It's going to catch fire. It's going to catch fire, and it's going to catch fire. So Paul says, I see that happening and working out what's going on in the church. And so he's boasting about what God's doing. And it's going to greatly enlarge. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area of influence. What he's saying is, is look, I have to be with you and get this church right. And it's got to be moving before I can move on to the next area before I go on. So he's got to finish establishing the church and making sure it's healthy before he can move on to where he's called to go. To let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not of the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That's not because I say I'm good at what I'm doing. I'm a good pastor. You've got to listen to me. No, it's the one that the Lord says commends. How do we know the Lord's commending them? By the fruit of their, of what's going on. Not how many people are in the pews. Well, but no, Pastor, you said that's you know he's, the church has got to get to a certain point. Yeah, it's got to get to a certain point. But that's God to choose what that is. Why do you know that? Well, because I looked at some of his other letters and some of the other churches he established. The church of Ephesus was begging Paul to stay and teach. And Paul said, no, God's moving me on because it's established. There's other churches that did not grow. It's you, God's got to select people. So... We don't measure our success by how many people are sitting in the pews or how big our building is. You can't say, oh, God's, this is really frustrating. Oh, God's really blessing that ministry. Look at, they got a thousand seats to fill. Look at them grow. You don't know that. What does Paul say? How do we know? By the fruit. He said, didn't measure the fruit by how many bodies are there. The church of Corinth was filled with bodies. Some of them weren't Christians. Just because they show up doesn't mean that they're a Christian. Just because they, listen to me church, just because they profess and say a prayer doesn't mean you're a Christian. He says judge them by their fruit. Well, what's your fruit? This is the hard stuff. This is when you actually teach the entire scripture. Okay? Come up and say this prayer, you're going to be saved, it's great. No, it's not just that, it's a starting point. Baptism is a starting point. Hey guys, church, I'm confessing that I'm following Christ. What does that mean? You all hold me accountable. To what? To see in my fruit. What's my fruit? When I realize and I submit to my king, means the life in this world's not about me. Well, what does that mean? What that means is, I'm going to do what he tells me to do, 
And when the rest of the world says it doesn't look like I'm being blessed, I already know that I have been blessed. It's not a promise of wealth. It's not a promise of the size of a church. It's not a promise that all your family is going to love you and get along magically. It's not a promise that life is going to be easy. It's actually almost the opposite. Because Jesus said you're going to have trouble because you follow me. So that's how Paul can sit in, church, in prison and everybody go, man, I, I like that guy and I'm following him. And the rest of the world would go, why? He's not clearly blessed. That's what they were doing. He's not blessed. He doesn't have a certificate. He doesn't have a huge following. He's not making any money. Look at him. He's in prison. God's not taking care of him. Right? So if we looked at Paul with the world's eyes, he's not successful. But he knows he's successful, not because of what he's doing, but because he's watching what the Holy Spirit's doing and how he can boast on the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us? It means we can't sit back in our laurels and say, well, Billy Graham's successful. Look how many people have fallen. No, we've got to be intimate with the message that he's doing, and we have to weigh that out. It means there's a responsibility on us to what? To know this. There's a responsibility for us to be in this. Why? So that we can hold every thought captive to Christ. So no matter what I say today, what Pastor Tony says today, you need to, you need to take that thought, take that message, and you need to hold it to what Christ says. Why? Because I'm not. Then you'll get crazy churches. Crazy churches. Let me tell you one. This is crazy. This blew my mind. Mars Hill. Anybody heard of that group? Mars Hill Church? Good. I'm glad you... No, I'm just kidding. Mars Hill is one of these fast-growing just multi-level there was probably 20,000 10,000 I don't even know it's that big satellite churches east coast to west coast huge church and all of a sudden everything come tumbling down because it was built around this lead pastor and he thought okay I mean that we've seen this story before right sitting in the camp he left his wife blah 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 that ends up not being a problem with Mars Hill I listened to a, a podcast about how Mars Hill fell apart he had leadership issues. He had control issues. He had lots of just issues. The problem that I have is the reason why we didn't get away from it, why it didn't get found out sooner, is because people who were with him that lived through the issue didn't do church discipline. They didn't hold every thought captive to Christ. How do we measure how Pastor Tony's doing, how Pastor Rory doing? you got to know my character and how I live it out. Is it just do I preach up here and say stuff and then go out there and do something completely different? How do I live it out? And the stories that are coming out of his leadership team, the people that were working next to him, he was not living out the gospel. He was not a humble man. And so instead of doing something about it, because God calls us how to handle that, they just picked up and went to a different church. But Mars Hill, and the reason it got so big is because we can put bells and whistles. We can feed what I like to call the atheists. Let's come sit. Let's come sit and make sure that you're taking care of my kids and children's church, right? And make sure they're entertained and they want to come to church. I found a church because they want to come to church. Who cares about what they're teaching? At least they want to come. Right? Man, I'm, I'm having a problem with money. I need prayer so somebody can help me with get a right job. And so I get enough prayer at church to pull that lever that God will provide the job for me. I seen somebody stand up in church one time and thank God for a credit card. I'm like, 
man, read your scripture a little bit. I don't think God's blessing you with a credit card. Matter of fact, teaches the opposite of that. You know, credit stuff is a slave. Stay away from it. But it's just an example that people want their ears tickled. They want their needs met. And church can be a place of needs met, but not the ultimate need. And so I can go and be educated on how to grow a church. I can I know how to get bodies in. The problem is I have to sell part of my soul to do that. Now, you have churches that will tend to every need and will grow the thing and say God's blessing. Look how is that wrong? The churches are getting big. No. What's wrong is is when you don't teach the whole gospel. Because the other side just as bad. I teach a lot. There's extremes. When I go through the Bible, there's extremes. There's a there's a a left side that everything's free will, everything you do what you want once you get saved, whatever. There's the other side that you man you gotta follow every letter to the law. There's these extremes. In reality, the Bible is kind of in the middle and it's messy. Okay, so while you got the extreme church that's that's growing and just doing all these wonderful programs and getting everybody excited about showing up and, and man, we're we're doing numbers and they're saying prayers and we're doing baptisms and right, but then you have the other extreme that says, well, you're selling your soul on the gospel. We're going to make sure we got it right over here and we're going to build these walls up and we're going to we're going to do it this way every day. But what we forget about is there is evangelism. Even with Paul, there's an expectation that the church is going to grow. You can't just put your walls up and say, I refuse to do anything to the outside person. So the challenge is, is how do you, because even Paul, I want to say change the message, but curtail the message to the group that he's talking to. How best to work with the Holy Spirit to reach people. And there's an expectation of growth. So we can't say, well, I'm a small church because I teach the gospel and it's difficult. When I tell you, you know what, it's not all about you. Jesus loved you and he wants you on his team. Now you're his slave because that's what the Bible says. So now you've got to do what he tells you to do. And it doesn't mean it's all fun and roses. And man, I like that. I come to a church when I get pounded on the head. The problem is, is there's hope in that too. And so how do we get to the balance of making sure we do the hope with the pounding on the head? And make sure that we're reaching out to people because that's what we're called to do. We, not Pastor Tony, not Pastor whatever, we as Christians and believers are called to do. We're called to hold one another accountable. We, in the Western culture, as a church, don't hold one another accountable like Scripture tells us to. How many of y'all hanging out outside of this church? I mean, having Sunday, Monday, Tuesday dinners together. I can't know Brother Eddie if I'm not communing with him, eating with him, and doing life with him. I can see him on Sunday. He gets up and he sings. He's a big guy. I'm going to respect him. Right? And he sings the good stuff. But I don't know what he's doing at home. How do I know how he's doing at home? If I go to his home, and he comes to my home, and we have a relationship, then we can hold one another accountable. That's how we get away from, you know, the whole, well, I don't want to I don't want to take out that stick in somebody else's eye cuz I have a log in mine. No, the idea is that you're all working together to pull sticks out of one another. Amen. That's what makes a healthy church. And as you do that, what you're boasting what God's doing in your life and then you know what you start talking to other people around you, you start doing stuff with other people. But if you come sit here on Sunday or come sit here on Wednesday and you don't have a life outside this church with one another, you're not holding one another accountable. You're not being the body. You can't have church discipline. You just got programs. 
and just got feel-good stuff. And I can tell you what, when you're living this out, it's not a feel-good life around you when people look at you because the world's coming after you. That the, <laughs> Satan's coming after you. This is why Paul and those guys were in jail. Does that mean that you, that you have to be happy all the time? No, Paul was not happy all the time. He was strained to the point of death. He was ready to die. But he still had joy. Happiness and joy is two different things. Why do you still have joy? Because he's still excited about what God was doing in and around him. Not for him, but for the glory of God. Why? Because Paul's second. So I can't be happy about seeing my family fall apart. I can't be happy about being thrown in jail. I can't be happy about seeing what's going on in Canada. Churches are being burned. I can't say certain things. We're locking doors. I can't be happy about that. But you know what? It still brings me joy. Why? Because the enemy's afraid. And the enemy's getting busy. Enemy's getting busy. So how do we know who we're following? You've got to be rooted in the Word. You have a responsibility to hold every thought captive to Christ. You have a responsibility to holding Pastor Tony's feet to the fire. You have a responsibility to do life with Pastor Tony so you can call him out if he's not living out what he's preaching. And you can't do that unless you're doing life with him. And Pastor Tony can't build a church without you. Why? Because it's your influence of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and you boasting about it is what builds the church. It is tough on Pastor Tony and me. We have lots of long conversations. Not as much anymore because life changes, but we've had lots of long conversations about, you know, are we doing what God's called us to do? We both pastor small churches. And we want to see more. We have a desire to see more people saved. We have that burden. And so we thought, man, we see these other churches growing. What are we doing that, that they're not? Not because we want a big church, but because we want to see more people cross the finish line with Christ. Am I being selfish? Do I want to stand here and pulpit? Is there some reason, that, is there something that's compelling me to stand here because I like the attention? And maybe I should shut this thing down for the sake of the gospel. These are struggles. How is the Lord? How do I know if the Lord's really blessing my ministry? How do we judge that? And it's a balance, and it's difficult because it's a gray area. We can make excuses and say, "Well, the, the, the church isn't growing. Obviously, he hasn't called. He's not blessing this ministry. He's going to walk away." Or we could say the other excuse and be in the other extreme and say, "Man, I know I'm doing it right. <laughs> that mega church is selling their souls, and I'm going to." Be happy with my five people and make sure that they're doing. But that's not what... Scripture's messy. Scripture says it's in the gray area in the middle. doesn't say I'm going to see a hundred people and magically happen. It could. doesn't say that it won't either. Don't, don't Hear me out. I mean, the, the fresh fire. I mean, the Holy Spirit can come in and, and convert people left and right. I think, you know, one of the things, as a side, I do rabbit trails. This is a rabbit trail. You know, Steve and I were talking just about... TV and social media and just whatever. And I said, you know, the challenge is, is we all like to see car accidents. I mean, just human nature. We all slow down, right? Have you ever passed a car accident doing 70? Anybody? No. You want to see what happens, right? And so that's how news and social media and everybody gets your attention is by showing you the car accidents. And pretty soon what happens is we think that there's nothing but car accidents. And that's not reality. We got to do a little digging to see God working. Or we can get really frustrated with the world. I'm frustrated with the world. Satan's in it. We know it. It's no different than when Jesus walked the earth. It's the same struggles. 
It's the same amount of car accidents. They just didn't have, you know, TV to flip it on and watch it. And I said, one of the most positive things I saw recently, you know, one of the things that we do at our church, we do church around the world. And I got a little uh, synopsis. One of my church members follows uh, Voice of the Martyr, which is, there's a whole movie about them, and there's a, a big group of, of helping out um, people that are persecuted in these other places. And um, we give reports every week about what the church is going through around the world. Some of them are praise reports, some of them are prayer reports. But one of the praise reports that was real recent, I don't remember which country this took place in to a fault because I just wasn't excited about that part of it. But what I was excited about, the head of the atheist organization for this country just converted to Christ because of his dreams where Christ was coming to him in his dreams. That's the Holy Spirit working, man. I mean, that's what should get us excited and we should be a joy that, man, that's, God said that's going to happen, that there's going to be dreams, that the people are going to convert on it. It's happening. We should be excited. It builds our faith. Satan didn't win. Even though it looks like he's winning some battles. He's not going to win. We can't go hide and say, oh, God, come save me. No, we're called to stand up in the middle of this. I lost where I was going because I got on that rabbit trail. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit for you. But it's exciting to see what he does. And so what I'm saying is, back to the gray area, if the Holy Spirit chooses to blow this church and my church up to 1,000 members overnight, man, great. If he chooses to do it one out of one, and in 10 years I got 10 more, great. Right? Because there's a lots of... This is, this is my other favorite go-to. You look at the prophets of the old... And they go around, and you know they're just beating your chest. No one's listening to them. I mean, one guy ran around naked for three days. I mean, three years. Three years he ran around naked. I said, thank God you ain't called me to that. <laughs> right? I can't imagine Pastor Tony and I at a time where we got to yell to, the, to his, God's people, and no one's going to listen to us. I mean, we would just be broken people. Thankfully, we're in the other you know, new covenant, so we can look around and see the Holy Spirit working, you know, and, and see him growing. And so for us... And for you guys, what's important is is that you're holding every message captive to the way Christ would do it. And that you're holding one another accountable. The numbers will come on their own if you're doing your steps. The way God wants it to happen. Which could be one a year, two a year. Could be none for a year. But your walk has got to be moving. You've got to be in this word. You've got to be holding one another accountable, which means you've got to get your hands dirtier than you are. All of our churches have got to get our hands dirtier than they are. We can't just rely on the PhDs. We can't rely on the amount of money. We can't rely on it. The bank account's fine. We can't rely on that stuff. Why? Because we're not told to. We're told to rely on our Holy Spirit being in the word to hold every thought captive. Amen? Love you guys. Don't mean to bring it too hard. But now, you got to go back to Pastor Tony and say, man, Pastor kept talking about this church discipline stuff. What is that? Because that can get ugly if you don't do it right. So tell Tony, I need, some, I need to understand what church discipline, why? Because Pastor Roy said it's important. It's important and we don't do it well. And we need to do that well. And that'll stop some of the nonsense that's going on. It's scary. When you don't do this well, when you don't take care of one another, when you're not looking, holding one another accountable. My, my biggest and craziest example I've got not to pick on Presbyterians because I don't know enough about them, but just, just where it happened at. It's a Presbyterian pastor overseas in England. 
25 years pastor in this church, comes out and says, I'm atheist. He didn't walk away from the church. Today, he still serves that church. The people in that church didn't push him out. They were okay with being led by an atheist. How does that happen? Because I can preach hope and I can preach feel-good messages out of here. But if I don't talk about the day when Jesus is going to come and all that stuff in your life doesn't matter, when the rubber meets the road, if I stay away from that message, then I can fill these pews. I stay away from the message that, you know what? When we give our life to Christ, that means we're not in charge anymore and we're now slaves to Him. That doesn't feel good. Why? Because we want the, we want the medicine that's going to make my life easy. And following Christ isn't easy. He said, they're going to hate you because of me. The world's going to hate you because you're going to defend the gospel because this is the only way. That's why people were standing up against Paul they didn't like the fact Paul said this is the only way. Let me show you how I'm a better speaker and how I'm a better and how I should lead this church. And Paul says, no, I was sent by God because of the Holy Spirit and you know better. And the day's coming. I don't want to have to be this strong. That's why I'm trying to get as many of you to listen and to repent. But the day is coming when I come back. And those that haven't, just like Christ, it's going to be time to kick you out of the church. Amen? All right. Love you guys. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the love and the grace that you give us every day, Father. Forgive us when we haven't lived up to what you've asked us to, Father. Forgive us when we've taken the, selfishly taken the reins back and, and want to drive and want to take a break when you're saying move, when you're saying charge, Father. Lord, continue to build this body if it's your will, Father. Build this body outside of these walls, Lord. Give us a conviction to get after to know one another, to do life with one another, to hold one another accountable, Father, to lean on one another when we need to march. Lord, that we can experience and talk about how the Holy Spirit's moving in our lives to build our faith and to strengthen our resolve and to strengthen our wills to follow you. Lord, Jesus, you said to be yoked with you, but your way is light, Father. Lord, help us to have a fire in our hearts to be yoked with you, to allow you to lead, to understand when the world's saying we're not blessed, that we realize how blessed we are, because in that day of judgment, we're going to be able to say, Jesus, you saved me. Lord, give us a fire. For those that are outside of your will, Father, give us a fire and a compassion to love and to share the grace that you have for them, Father, and the knowledge of how you desire them to be with you for eternity. Father, give us a passion to to seek those out and to share our love that we only gain and know through you to them. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this moment. There's nobody here by accident, Father. You've called us today to this moment to hear your word, to hear your message, Father. Light a fire under our path that we get after it. In Jesus' name, amen.